to another episode of Sacred Cinema with me, your host, Jimmy Bernasconi on 2XFM on the 98.3 frequency. This week's topic, we're talking cops. That's right, we're talking about the police this week. Cop movies. Not buddy cop movies, just cop movies. Movies that have cops in them. Movies with cop in the title. Yes, I, I noticed that there was a bit of a vibe happening around the 1980s into the 1990s where there was a lot of action movies, action comedy movies that came out um, about cops. Usually single cops, but sometimes two cops playing off each other. You know, you got your... I guess they these days that's your, your sort of your Kevin Hart... Uh, and the rock uh, partnership sort of thing. But but I'm talking specifically about films that came out around this period that we've been hovering around a lot uh, in, in recent weeks, um, this, this 80s, 90s uh, action drama um, area, in which the protagonist is sort of this young... Uh, they often say, you know, this young cop that's signing checks that he that he can't cash. And I guess the the buddy cop version of this is the is the Danny Glover, Mel Gibson thing in Lethal Weapon. But we we're talking about these these young hotshot cops, right? Um, you know, you got the, he's always wearing sneakers. I guess that was the fashion of the time. But they're always a bit they're always a bit scuffed, a bit dirty. And he's always sort of running around the the streets uh, through some sort of miscellaneous um, American metropolis kind of thing. I, I remember when I first saw uh, Men in Black. And I uh, saw that scene with Will Smith running around chasing that alien. I remember as a kid being like, that looks like such a cool job. Just like running around a city, chasing criminals, you know, going through steamy alleyways and sliding through sewage pipes and things. I don't know why that appealed to me as a young boy, but, but I always it was a very exciting thing. And it must have really captured the attention of um, of the American public and, and, and I guess the international uh, cinema audience throughout this time. We're going to unpack some of the insights, some of the broader themes that were that were being played around uh, with the, in these films. I mean, you can probably guess already that these aren't necessarily your your highbrow, more intellectual films generally. But we've we've talked about this before on the show. Where I think there's sort of a couple of ways that you can analyze a film. One way is to sort of sink your teeth into it and, and try and figure out, well, you know, what the what the director or what the writer was trying to in what they intended to say, and and, and you know, take it more as, as propaganda in a way and, and try and learn some lessons. For it. I think there's another way, though, that we can analyze a film where if a film is successful or if it, if it, if it remains significant throughout history or in, in decades after it came out, or, it, or even if it didn't, uh, we can ask questions about, you know, why did these big Hollywood studios, why did they think that these films would work and, and why were they right, you know, uh, a lot of the time? And I guess with these films, they, they all have sort of, they all did have uh, pretty good, you know, they've all had fair share of commercial success. They all had, uh, they're, they're all either sequels or had lots of sequels. So they obviously did well at the box office. Uh, and, and that's sort of the question we're asking today. What is it about the collective unconscious that meant that these films were successful, that they were thought up in the first place, that people thought that they would make a lot of money, that they would resonate with the public. Um, and, and I think this week, of all the weeks to do that, is a really interesting one. When we're talking about something like cops, right? Cops aren't necessarily 
um, the sorts of things that people have always considered to be virtuous. I mean, I, I guess for contemporary um, listeners, you probably think when you think cops these days, you think, you know, there's obviously a lot of discussions in the news nowadays around police brutality, um, about systemic injustices and inequalities and all that sort of thing. And that's sort of what we assume that cops are all about. I mean, that's not a new phenomenon. I mean, it's, it has always been the case. Unfortunately, whenever one of these uh, incidents of alleged police brutality uh, comes up in the news, we always do see, you know, this isn't the first time, you know, many times before that. I remember I watched um, Do the Right Thing um, around the time the George Floyd thing happened. I don't know. It wasn't uh, consequential. I just happened to watch it and being like, wow, this is exactly the same conversation. And it was happening back in, uh, was it 1989 that film came out? So, uh, I mean... People who lived there, I mean, I was born in 1995, so forgive me for not having a memory of, of, of a time before I was um, breathing. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is, it has always been a very controversial thing, you know, the, the way that the police deal with the public. So I suppose when we watch these films, not to sink too deep into what some of the more metaphorical or thematic intentions of these directors uh, what they what they might have been hoping that we'd get out of them, but I, I do think that we can view these films. Uh, as depictions of the personification of state power or state control or or state protection, i.e. The, the main characters in these films, they, they personify or they symbolize state power or, or what would virtuous state power or what would virtuous state protection or, or morally benevolent uh, state protection. What what would that look like? Uh, assuming that these characters are, are good and that we and that we like them. I mean, I, I liked all the characters in these movies. Maybe you're a real cynic. Maybe you've been possessed by um, malevolent forces. But um, no, I, I feel like that. You know, it's it's really interesting to watch a movie like this. And when we can sympathise with the protagonist, we can ask ourselves, you know, why is it in this case I find myself being more sympathetic towards uh, Eddie Murphy's character in Beverly Hills Cop? Oh, that's the first movie we're going to be talking about, by the way. Uh, 1984 film directed by Martin Brest. Why do we necessarily sympathize with his character or the protagonist in our second film, which is, of course, RoboCop um, from 1987. Uh, that one's directed by Paul Verhoeven. Very intriguing director, uh, I might add. And then the, the last film we're going to talk about, by the way, is Stanley Tong's uh, 1992 film uh, Super Cup. Uh, but also known as Police Story 3. It's the third film in that franchise. Uh, but, but before we do launch into those um, before we do launch into those films, I, I think it is sort of important to remember that at, at all points throughout today's episode, uh, you know, th th this is something that is sort of uh, sobering for a lot of people. Uh, and it is the sort of thing that nowadays, I'm not sure we could make these same films. And, and maybe it is time to go back to them and, and, and have a look at how they worked at that time. And was it a blind spot on our, on our part back then? Or, or was some ideas being lifted up back then that we may have forgotten and that we may need to revisit and, and, um, and, and, and lift back up again? Who knows? Maybe we'll get to the answer uh, of those questions in, uh, throughout today's show. But let's begin with the first uh, film for today's um for today's show, and that would be Martin Brest's 1984 uh, action comedy starring, of course, Eddie Murphy, and that would be Beverly Hills Cop. Um, so just to begin with, I like to do this sometimes, where we just break down the title of the film, uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Now, if you've not seen the film, you might think it's about a cop from Beverly Hills. No, it's not. That's the first joke of the film. He's actually from Detroit. Um... And um, he uh, goes to Beverly Hills because he's investigating privately um, this this murder of his friend. But he's actually uh, an established, you know, formal police officer in 
uh, in Detroit. So from the beginning, we have this concept of what I've been, what I consider to be, you know, the outsider. And there's a lot of elements of this film. There's a lot of motifs, uh, or that is, I should say that that is a motif throughout this film, uh, where you kind of get the vibe um, that this guy uh, doesn't really fit in and. Because he doesn't fit in, he's able to sort of solve these mysteries. And vice versa, the characters that are within this system, are within the Beverly Hills system themselves, they, because of their membership or because they belong or because they're native to Beverly Hills, they can't, I, I guess you could say, they can't think outside the box. And, and there's a lot of ways that we can sort of unpack this idea. The first one, obviously, is that Detroit, LA thing. But but that, with it comes all of this sort of cultural uh, baggage as well. So there's a real cultural component to this this contrast between the Detroit style and the LA style. Um, and, and I dare I say, watching this in 2022, I felt like they really ramped up some of the, um, you know, some of the caricatures of the, the classic sort of modern LA uh, type, uh, but all the way back in 1984, I guess this does sort of uh, speak to my age, uh, or I, I guess my my lack of um, awareness of, of how long uh, these jokes or how long these um, uh, these these conceptions of, of of certain cultures have existed. But sort of Eddie Murphy keeps sort of making fun of how kind of like over the top um, tolerant um, the, the the two cops he ends up being paired up with from Beverly Hills are. I should also mention I think there is sort of like a racial element to this film as well, uh, where you know obviously Eddie Murphy is African American and he keeps dealing with these LA cops who are all white and they're, and they're all sort of very you know by the book sort of that kind of that kind of caricaturistic you know eighties white guy you know he, very innocent and sort of traditional and by the book and you know there's a is it the famous bit <clears throat> it's a lot of famous bits in this film but uh one of them one of these cops that he gets um that he teams up with punches him out of frustration and then he sort of out of fairness says you know oh, oh i guess i do would you like to press charges for that uh that act of battery that i just committed and eddie murphy like laughs it off he's like we do that all the time in detroit we would never i would never do that with a fellow cop and and this is sort of lifting up that idea of you know salt not i don't want to say salt of the earth but i'm not sure if you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the concept of the deep blue sea and we talked that book that uh, we talked about that film the deep blue sea and, and the idea of that you know in the face of a complex issue humans naturally like to sympathize or or, or see a greater sense of wisdom in people that kind of have practical knowledge, sort of those salt of the earth types, people that sort of use their hands and 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 respect the mystery of nature and that sort of thing, versus you know the scientific uh, bookwormy types who, who who think they can fully conceive or fully conceptualize. I mean, we've talked about that a lot on this show. Um, we talked about that a lot on the Peter Weir episode a couple of weeks ago as well. But we see a lot of we see a bit of that in this film too, where it, you know Eddie Murphy has the street smarts. You know, he's the pragmatic guy. He might not have gone to a fancy college and gone to a fancy private school but he sort of knows the streets well um so you know, th th I guess that's a cultural element, uh, but but also I, I did I did want to delve into the, the the LA bourgeois thing going on. Sort of, th there's um you know the Eddie Murphy's friend in this film that he he links up with um in uh, in in LA. Um, she's a friend of his from I think from like college or high school or something like that. Um, and her name's Jenny. Um, she works at like this kind of new uh this this, this like postmodern art gallery, and he comes and like laughs at all the weird pieces and and all the people that she works with have these like like really funny accents and things like that. And they didn't have to put that in the movie, but I think the reason why they did that is they really wanted to ramp up this, this cluelessness. And, and I, I 
use that word deliberately because you know that's the that's the the way that they describe um, Alicia Silverstone's character in in, in, uh, in you know in Clueless, which is set in in, in also in Los Angeles in the, in the Valley, right? Or you know she's like a Valley Girl type. Um, you know this sort of cluelessness that people who are you know ironically very intelligent, very sophisticated, uh, um, you know, and very 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 educated, you know, art types, the, the intelligentsia. What I don't know what the the words are, but um, you know this film is sort of really steering into that the idea of, like if you really want to see justice done um, you can't sort of spiral into this uh, sort of uh, circle jerky kind of uh, you know this self-indulgent self-obsessed self-centered LA style uh, I'm so beautiful I'm so wonderful culture you actually need someone to cut through someone that comes from uh, a place where real crime actually happens and that, that would be Eddie Murphy's character I should mention also that, that I think it's really important to, for his characterization at the beginning of the film he, we see him mess up as well in um in back in Detroit and that's actually why he goes on leave and goes to Beverly Hills so he's not an all-rounded he's not a perfectly well-rounded cop either he's actually messed up himself when he's in Detroit and it is this sort of idea that we, we constantly need out like it's, it's almost as if, if an LA cop then went to Detroit they would actually maybe be able to fix things up I mean I suppose it's a really good uh, I think it's a really good promotion of the, the idea of like like diversity of um, thought like it's the idea that you, you sort of always need an outsider to come in to see the things that everyone inside the box uh, doesn't already see and and I suppose in the context of law enforcement that couldn't be true, all right? When we talk about all of the, um, you know, po police brutality or um, just in our own country in Australia and we talk about what's going on uh, up in the Northern Territory and we talk about things like, um, you know, the in, you know inequalities in terms of, um, uh, what's, the, what's the phrase that everybody always uses about, um, when, you know, people being imprisoned uh, at disproportionate rates and, 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 and being killed uh, while, while imprisoned and that sort of thing. Um, you, you, you sort of when you get into that conversation, we talk about the idea uh, that, you know, you don't understand. You know, people sort of say things, oh, you don't understand what it's like up there. Oh, you know, if you were up there, you would understand. And I suppose there is some merit to that in a way. I mean, you need to fully understand. Uh, deaths in custody, that was the phrase I was, I was looking for. Um, you know, when we, when we had that conversation about deaths in custody and, and the disproportionate amount of um, representation of different uh, groups of different people, very often you do hear that argument, which is like, oh, you know, if you, you, know, you don't know what it's like up there. You know, if you knew all the nuances of that sort of thing, you, you would get it. But that may be the case, sure, but that doesn't remove the fact that someone with a with, with, who isn't um, you know, hasn't drunk the cordial, so to speak, or someone who isn't conditioned by those surroundings, if they were to come in, they would kind of be up, maybe be able to wake people up, throw the cold water on them and say, well, you know, I understand that maybe you've, you've developed these biases. Or I understand that you may have, um, you know, through your environmental um through environmental conditioning, you've sort of developed, a, you know, a, 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 you know, a, this sense of pattern recognition that you think is, uh, you know, a, a rational way of looking at the world. But we actually do need outsiders to come through and, and cut through all of that, all that normative um, dialogue and to say, like, get a grip. Bring it back to the objective. Let's get back to a reasonable and, and rational state of things. Do you actually think that this looks okay? Is this the sort of thing that you're happy with? Or is this something that we actually need to get? Like, let's, let's you know what they say, let's get an outside hire, right? I suppose this is a really good film uh, that promotes the idea of the outside hire. Get someone from the outside that can maybe understand. And, and, in, the, and in the context of law enforcement, that tends to be a, you know, a, a, a good idea, maybe. Um, so... 
we're going to stop talking about uh, Beverly Hills Cop now. And we're going to sort of start to unpack that question of, you know, if we always need an outsider, you know, and we start talking about the, the fallibility or, or, or the, the flaws or the inevitable flaws and the inevitable shortcomings of the mortal human being in the in the realm of law enforcement, in the realm of state protection. When we, when we make that assumption that we, we can't just, um, you know, go stale in one system and, and let these prejudices take over, what, you know, hypothetically, what should we do? What, what would a good cop look like? Uh, but before we do that, let's, let's uh, just remind you. Mr. or Mrs. Listener, uh, you are listening to 2XFM on the 98.3 frequency. I am Jimmy Bernasconi, and I'm hosting Sacred Cinema, the program you are currently listening to live on the radio or online. If you are online, or maybe you're not, jump online, check out our our on-demand platform. You can listen to every episode of Sacred Cinema at your own leisure. Uh, but you can also, while there, you can sponsor the show. You can also subscribe to the station. That would be very, very much appreciated. But moving on now, we, we've talked about the, the sort of the fallibility. Or we talked about the, the way that maybe uh, that uh, being a human being necessarily means that you're, you're probably a flawed in, in this realm of, of, of enforcing rules and, and, and judging what's right and wrong in, in the moment. Uh, and that sometimes we need something that's extra, something that is, sits outside that system. Well, we're going to talk now about Paul Verhoeven's 1987 film, RoboCop. Uh, and look, I was so excited. I actually had never seen this film before. I've always, I knew a lot about this film, but I watched it this week um, because I wanted to, you know, research all these films of this time. And I found myself, I, w- I just found it so infectious. <laughs> I I, found, I was just watching this film. I just I just kept talking good news, boys. I just kept doing my impression of the RoboCop. Thank you. You are now safe. Like I just kept doing that voice. I found it so infectious. Um, and and I suppose you know this film sort of spoke to me. I think that 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 the RoboCop character. If you haven't seen the film, it's about a man. He's a cop. He gets shot. He gets killed. And then this corporation turns him into a RoboCop. And then he just thrives. And he's he's he he uh, sort of fixes up a lot of these problems in the city, but there's obviously a complication. And we don't really want to get too much into the story itself, but just this concept of the RoboCop, right? At the beginning of this film and throughout... They keep voicing these concerns, the, the, the actual cops do, about how they keep getting killed out there and they want to take industrial action. And, oh, this is... If you, if you love dystopian sci-fi that is critical of the capitalist system, this, my friends, is your cup of tea. Um, not for everyone is a little bit, um, uh, you know, a little bit like, oh, gee, okay, I, I get it. Like, it's a little bit on the nose, some of the metaphors and things like that. But it's definitely worth, to- they're definitely, they are definitely worth talking about today. Um, but, yeah, the first element is this element of, of, of human beings going out there. And maybe this explains why um, we naturally fail as, you know, the agents of law enforcement, as, as you know, humans with blood and bone and that sort of thing. Because you're scared of being killed, right? There is this fear of dying. And there's a lot of, this film is very famous for its gore if you google you know most gory films in the in the ever which i have done um this film like ranks in like the top 10 there's some really disgusting this is like cronenberg level gore uh in this film there's especially one scene where this guy gets toxic waste on him and he becomes this mutant man and he's like his skin's like dripping off his bone it's just beautiful um uh, but the, 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 I think the point of that is is to emphasize you know the fragility of the human body and that we do have these 
very uh, vulnerable systems. And, you know, as we see, you know, the Robocop himself gets just slaughtered in this film before he turns into the Robocop. So that's one end of things, right? And to that, you might say, well, we need systems. We need machines. We need artificial means of state protection. And just saying that out loud sounds dystopian and scary. Right? What if the entire police force was just a series of those Black Mirror dogs from that episode, Metalhead, or, or speed cameras on legs, right? That That isn't a nice image, is it? We don't like that because... Because, you know, because human beings can be corrupted morally or can can indulge those more malevolent sides of them, if they can control these massive systems, these massive, either their machines or literal cyber systems or something like that, then we're all in trouble, right? Because, and that's one of the, um, you know, there's this weird robot character, Ed, in this film. He's like this big robot man. And like, he's really scary in the movie because you think he has no, he has no way of slowing down. He just takes his orders and then he's off with the races and that, that could be the end of it all. So on one hand, we've got these vulnerable human beings that end up, you know, acting immorally because they're probably out of fear. And also they just die and that's tragic in and of itself. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have these massive, I, I love this word on the show, these hegemonic artificial systems that are just of, just as if not more concerning. So what Robocop represents is the amalgamation of these two powerful concepts and why he is such a dominant and reliable force is because on one hand he has that human morality, human compassion. He's able to... Um, wield that, but he also has the protection of his armor. Uh, he has the accuracy and the precision of a machine. So in a hypothetical sense, what we're aiming for is this sort of compassionate robot when we talk about law enforcement. We want someone that has a moral compass, but isn't going to steer away from it or can't be reprogrammed in a way uh, that will turn them into this death machine that just kills everything in its path. We, we're sort of talking, we're trying to walk the line here between man and machine when we talk about the idea of state and protection state protection and when you look around the streets and you see something like a speed camera you like to know that there's someone on the other end that's going to review your, your, your photo, right? Like, that, like, we don't like to think that that's not going to happen. Or, you know, if you sign up for some governmental agent, you know, if you sign into some government social benefit or you engage in some kind of, uh, you know, cyber, you know what I mean, some kind of cyber agency membership thing, you know, uh, you want to know that there's someone on the other end that is actually a human being that you can speak to. You know, no one likes getting the robot when they're on the phone, but they also, we also understand that there is a level, there's a, there's a point at which we need to um, employ technology to make life more efficient and just easy. So it, it's all about finding that, once again, we, we always sort of talk about this on the show, but finding that middle line. But what if you do find yourself in the midst uh, an injustice and you don't have the resources of uh, a RoboCop to help you? You're in the real world. Well, we're going to move on to our third and final film now to, to discuss this idea of how, how a mortal person um, can, can signal their virtue in a way that, that is virtuous. You know, how can we, you know, how can we excel past? How can we um, transcend our own mortality or our, our, uh, our sense, not our sense of humanity, but, but the, you know, how can we transcend 
transcend the limitations that our humanity maybe imposes on us um, or the human condition imposes on us. Uh, and at this point, I'd like to turn to Super Cup, uh, otherwise known as Police Story 3. Now, you may not have heard this film. This one's directed by Stanley Tong, by the way. Uh, you may not have heard this film, or you may have if you are a big fan of Quentin Tarantino. He has spoken about this film publicly. Uh, he says it's one of his top 20 films since he started making movies uh, in that famous YouTube video. And particularly emphasizes the stunts in this film. He says this is the best stunts ever done in a film ever. And uh, if you watch the film and if you you know, know about the behind the scenes and you know some of the trivia behind the, the film, Jackie Chan, who, who plays the main character in this film, Jackie Chan uh, and Michelle Yeoh, who, who is the, his, his the other star of this film, they actually had a competition um, uh, when they filmed this, which was, you know... Uh, who can outstunt the other person? You know, whoever can do the craziest stunt wins. And I don't want to give too much away, but they both res like they both respectively do like the most messed up. <laughs> like, what do they think? Like they uh, like they easily could have died. Like it's it's worth watching just to see like how crazy it gets. Uh, basically, one bit is Jackie Chan just flying around on a ladder that's like coming off a helicopter, and he's just swinging around. <laughs> and then Michelle, yeah. Um, having never driven a motorbike professionally does this stunt where like repeatedly tries to land a motorbike on a, on a moving train. And like, like imagine if you never, if you weren't like a professional motor and she, and like, she's like, she's talked about this in interviews. Like, I don't know how to stop a bike, but I had to stop on top of a train. I just jumped off. And you see in the movie, she like, like kind of fumbles her way onto the carriage. Like she almost like, it's crazy. Anyway, I wanted to talk about this film because Partly because it's called Supercop, and I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But it's not... I don't want to talk about it as just being this series of stunts. I mean, there are films that do that. I mean, you can just go on YouTube and just look up, you know, like Nitro Circus or or Jackass or Krusty Demons or something like that. Or there's even been filmmakers. I mean, in the late 70s, you had a lot of filmmakers that were really getting into the martial arts thing. Um, Australian filmmaker Brian Trenchard-Smith actually made just a bunch of documentaries and, and actual, like, films where he essentially just made, like, just got a series of stuntmen and... and and stunts and just film like this is before the internet where people just go and watch or rent out on video just videos of people just doing crazy stuff like you know uh, dennis not dennis the menace what's his name uh you know evil knievel um that sort of thing so, but this film is a bit different i mean this is a film right so it's different to that it, you know the stunts um you know they import meaning or or, or the stunts have meaning because there is this underlying storyline and in this case um you've got jackie chan's and and michelle yo's characters who are trying to save the day as these hong kong cops so i guess you could say that they're able to transcend that mortality. They're able to become super cops, or in the Nietzschean sense, you know, they're, they're able to transcend just ordinary human cultural norms and become uber, uber munches, uber cops, right? They're able to do that by genuinely sacrificing themselves, like genuinely doing things that can only benefit other people and are and 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 and, and, and uh, that are, uh, that are utterly uh, where the burden is utterly and totally uh, where they totally bear the burden of, of, of what they're doing and I suppose on one hand if you would if you were to apply that to to being an everyday cop that's kind of tragic to think that the only way that a cop can actually be seen as virtuous can be seen as someone who's 
archetypally or two-dimensionally virtuous and, and 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 benevolent is to do something that's tragic you know to die in the line of duty and and you know this there's no shortage of of you know famous stories of cops or people from law enforcement or you think about you know all the, the people who are sort of martyred through or you know the great acts of of sacrifice who maybe would have done terrible things as well in their life but they they sort of you know, they sort of uh, obtained this state of martyrdom just because of you know of a, of a of an of a total act of sacrifice or something like that. That movie King of Staten Island that Pete Davidson kind of gets into that territory. By the way, uh, it is it seems kind of sad like that you've got to die in the line of duty to be to be to be uh, seen as virtuous. Well, I, I want to throw back to this to this idea that you know uh, you don't have to bear your face in the act of heroism. I mean, Jackie Chan's character is undercover. This entire movie, RoboCop's face is, you know, you know, he's got he's got his mask over his eyes the entire time, um, and and Eddie Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop is not even in his own jurisdiction. No one knows his name. No one who's who he is. So as to say that maybe if if you want to be a good guy, if you want to protect the public, maybe it's about doing it when no one's looking, not doing it for credit. But transcending your own mortality, transcending that, that those limitations that that your humanity imposes on you, by doing it without asking for anything in return. Well, that's all we've got time for this week on Sacred Cinema. You've been listening to me, your host Jimmy Bernasconi, on Two Double X FM on the ninety-eight point three frequency. As mentioned earlier, please stay tuned for more quality radio content here on Two Double X, or if you're online listening on our on-demand platform uh, consider sponsoring the show or subscribing to the station uh, but until next time thanks so much for listening to the show you can find me on all the major social media platforms and uh, we'll see you again very soon